Amazing. Well, welcome to church. Good to be here with you. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, my name is Ben, and I'm the college pastor here. I've had a privilege of serving college students in our church uh, for almost seven years, seven years in April, which is crazy to me. Uh, it's a long, uh, long time. And uh, so it's my privilege to be here with you. And can I just tell you right off the top uh, that the longer that I've been at North Point, the more God has put on my heart a burden to see his people live into their God-given potential. Really, that's, uh, that's really been my, my calling as a minister of the gospel. And, and all I can figure out how to do that is to help people uh, walk closely with Jesus, hear his voice consistently, and, uh, and be obedient as quickly as possible to the Holy Spirit's promptings in their life. And so, uh, so that's really my, my goal today is uh, to, to encourage you to get closer to Jesus. And uh, the reality is, is that oftentimes we, uh, we struggle to feel close to God. And one of the reasons is uh, actually because of this, this question, uh, when will I be a good enough Christian? And that's the question that I want to answer for you this morning. When will I be a good enough Christian? Because good enough has a way of, of disrupting uh, our experience of God in our life. Man, when, when we're, we're wondering, man, am I good enough? Do I measure up? A lot of times we really struggle to enjoy God's presence or uh, to believe that he's speaking to us or to believe that he's called us to do great things. And the truth is, there are many, many areas of my life where I know that I'm not good enough. Amen? Anybody been there? Like there's moments where uh, I should, should have been a, a, a better example to my kids or a better husband to my wife or uh, had a, a wiser statement in front of the church, right? And there's moments where I recognize that I am not good enough. And, and what do you do with that recognition? I was uh, thinking about this question, when will I be good enough? And I was rem- reminded of this moment. Uh, you guys ever uh, ride a roller coaster? Any roller coaster people in the house? I remember my first roller coaster experience. The first roller coaster experience is always the scariest, is it not? And, uh, and I, I remember it was, a, it was a roller coaster like the Colossus. I don't actually remember which roller coaster it was. I was a pretty, pretty young. Maybe I was about four feet tall, but I remember waiting in line. It was a long line, and they have that sign, you know, uh, the, you must be this tall to ride the ride. And so I'm, I'm standing in line at, at, waiting for this roller coaster as a young kid. I, whoa, hey, look at that kid. I'm standing in this line. We can go back to the roller coaster. I'm standing in this line and, with my dad. My dad is 6'8". So, uh, so I'm like, all, I've always looked up to him. I still look up to him and uh, literally, and, and, uh, and actually I do look up to him, but, uh, uh, but I'm standing in line with my dad and we get to the, the sign and I stand in front of the sign and, and I'm like a quarter of an inch too short. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> are they gonna let me on? Like, should I ride this ride? And the guy's like, you'll be fine, go ahead, right? It, it was a different time. And uh, so we get, in, we, get, we get on this coaster, right? And it's one of those roller coasters where the bar goes across both riders' laps. So it comes down. And, and you, you, I don't know if some of you guys are, are sensing the problem here because my, my dad is like a full three feet taller than me at this point. Uh, so there's like a full 14-inch clearance between me and the bar, right? It's, it's hit his legs and I've got literally nothing holding me in. So I, I'm really feeling like I'm not tall enough to ride this ride. And the entire time I looked like this kid. There, it was pre-GoPro, so I, uh, I couldn't get a photo for you of me, but, but I, I was just scared the whole time. And believe it or not, I didn't fall out. I'm still here. Uh, and God, God saved me, and it was amazing. And, uh, and the truth is that, that oftentimes this is our experience of life. We're, we're wondering, am I, am I tall enough? Am I strong enough? Am I smart enough? And, and, and that, that question, am I good enough to do this? Am I good enough enough to walk in this? Am I good enough to walk in the calling that God has for me? It has us terrified. So terrified often that that we do not do the thing that God asked us to do, right? 
And, and, and that's really the problem with this question, am I a good enough Christian? It is even when we, we're, we're willing to walk in the thing that God has called us to walk in, we don't enjoy it. We don't enjoy it because we're so afraid that we don't measure up. And, and that's the question that I wanna deal with uh, this morning because the reality is that we are supposed to enjoy being in God's presence, but, but this feeling of not being good enough will always disrupt our enjoyment of God and his leading. And so just let me say, it's really important for us to, to answer this question because, because one of the things that doubting that you're good enough does is it keeps you from receiving from the Lord. You can write that down. Doubting you are good enough will keep you from receiving from the Lord. You'll be like me on that roller coaster, completely terrified of what's gonna happen to you if you share your faith, what's gonna happen to you if you, you pray out loud in small group, uh, what people are gonna think of you if you step into that ministry role, uh, what's gonna happen if you challenge your kids to walk with the Lord, what, what, what's gonna happen? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I godly enough? Am I holy enough? And, and, and you'll be so, so, so afraid that you won't hear God encouraging you and empowering you. And this is a pattern that you see all throughout scripture, God meeting people in their weakness and their brokenness and their sinfulness and empowering them to walk with him. But the doubt and so often got in the way. So for example, you have uh, Moses, right? And, and Moses shows up, uh, he's, he's a shepherd of sheep and he's in the wilderness and this bush, this bush catches on fire. It's called the burning bush. You guys know the story? And God begins to speak to him out of a flaming bush. Like, could you imagine that? You're just, you're, your Christmas tree catches on fire, but, but it's not burning your house down. You're just, and the Lord's just talking to you out of the tree. This is Moses, right? And, 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 and this is what God says to him out of the bush. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? And who am I is a question that, that communicates to me that Moses didn't believe that he was good enough. And when we ask the question, who am I? That's an indicator that we feel like we don't measure up. And he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And truthfully, it's an, it's an honest observation. Uh, Moses has been a shepherd in the wilderness by himself for 40 years. And so it's, 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 it's a fair complaint to the Lord. But God is so good, right? He, he starts to give things to Moses. He, he actually tells Moses the future. He's like, this is what's gonna happen. We're gonna end up at this mountain with God's people. It's gonna be incredible. He tells them the future. And then he gives them a staff, a supernatural staff. And he, he teaches Moses how to turn it into a snake and then pick it up and have it turn back into a staff. It's the same staff that parts the sea and causes water to come out of rocks. Hit a rock, you got a spring. And so he gives them the supernatural staff. And then he promises Moses, hey, and I'll go with you every step of the way. And what does Moses say? Do you guys remember? He says, I'm a bad talker. You can't speak. And God's like, come on, man. And this is what doubt does. It keeps us from receiving God's power where we are weak. Or you have Gideon. Gideon was a, a dude in the time of the judges. And God, he says this to Gideon. He says, Gideon, you will be strong. In other words, God knows Gideon's not strong enough. And he says, because I am giving you the power to rescue Israel from the Midianites. But Gideon replied, you guys hear it now, but how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest one in Manasseh and everyone else in my family is more important than me. What is he saying? He's like, my family's not rich. They're not powerful. They're not particularly uh, politically powerful. Uh, they're, they're not wise. And I'm, I'm the, the dumbest and poorest of all of them. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I to go? And God's like, I know, Gideon, I know you're small. I know you're not strong, but I will empower you. But his doubts get in the way. 
Or you have Isaiah. Isaiah is given this incredible vision. Uh, God gives us a vision of heaven and heaven is a place where there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's beautiful songs, like the best worship music you ever heard. That was really good, but heaven is like that on a whole nother level, right? But, but what, is, what is Isaiah's response to seeing a picture of heaven, to being in God's presence? He says this in Isaiah six, he says, it's all over, I'm doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Like, I'm not worthy to even see this. And how could you call me God? I'm too sinful, my, my, my words are too sinful. But what does God wanna to give to Isaiah? He wants to give him his cleansing forgiveness so that he can go on mission with God. And can I just tell you, that so often we as Christians, we, we, we really, we get focused on our own deficiencies, our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, so much so that we, we stop hearing what God is saying to us, where he says, you will be strong, and I will forgive you, I will cleanse you, I will make you ready. Are, are you able to hear from the Lord what he's done for you in the person of Jesus? Because he's actually already answered this question for us. Am I a good enough Christian? He's answered the question for us in the person of Jesus. And Steve talked about this last week, but I wanna reiterate this point because it's so important for us if we're gonna live as people confident that God is with us, and it's this. In Christ, you are good enough to never be condemned. In Christ, you are good enough to never be condemned ever again. That's the truth. Steve talked about this and he explained the doctrine of justification and justification means that, that you are right with God forever. You are right with God forever. That means that you've been made right with God through the person of Jesus at the cross. All of your sins were carried and buried with Jesus so that you could walk in the righteousness of Jesus. That's what Paul says in Romans 12. He says, there, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation is there? There's none, there's no condemnation, which means uh, you have no fear of going to hell. You're, you're, you have a place secured for you in heaven. In fact, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. There's no condemnation. Also, it means that, that there's, there's no way that your heavenly father will ever remove himself from your life. Isn't that cool? And, and yet so often we, we carry around self-condemnation or the condemnation of others and we, we think that God feels the same way about us that other people but there's no condemnation for us in Christ for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Well, well, then how do you know you're in Christ? And some of you are like, well, if I'm in Christ, then why do I feel so condemned? I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I'm not worthy. I feel like I'm too sinful. And, and can I just tell you, uh, we are not supposed to be motivated and driven by our feelings as much as we're supposed to trust and have faith in the truth of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. And so when you don't feel good enough, uh, what do you do? You remember what Jesus has done for you on the cross and you say, there's no condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. I love, I, in fact, I love how the children's ministry explains being in Christ Jesus, being saved, having a relationship with Jesus. Do you guys know they have the ABCs? You guys ever heard that before? And A stands for uh, you, admit your, your, you admit your sinner in need of a savior. And that's the first step in, in being saved, admitting that you need somebody to save you. The, the second step is B, believe, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, right? Believe that he has saved you at the cross and C, commit to follow him with your life. Commit to follow him with your life. 
and, uh, and actually, I think this, this C point is one of the reasons that we oftentimes feel like we're not good enough, like the feeling uh, overrides the truth of the gospel, the truth of the work of Jesus on the cross, because uh, we, we've committed to follow Jesus, but only with part of our life. Like maybe we, we follow Jesus by going to church on Sunday, or we follow Jesus by praying when we have a problem, uh, but, but we maybe don't include God in our, our calendaring uh, or, or in, uh, in that sinful habit or, or in that thing that really embarrasses us. And so we sort of follow him halfway and we don't experience his life and his goodness in the other part of our life. Now, uh, is the, the, the level or the conviction that you, you follow Jesus the thing that saves you? No. It's, it's through Jesus' work on the cross that you're saved, but your sanctification happens as you commit fully to Jesus, as you commit to walk with him, and, and oftentimes we forget that the Holy Spirit is with us because we don't feel good enough. We feel too sinful. And that's the, 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 the third thing that I'd like just to say to you is that in Christ, you're good enough to be a home for the Holy Spirit. In Christ, you are good enough to be a home for the Holy Spirit. And, and what do I mean? I mean that the place that God is closest to you is, is not at church, uh, it's not at work, it's not in your quiet time, time at home in the prayer closet. Uh, it, it's, it's, he's as close to you there as he is to, to you at the supermarket. He's, he's in you, he's with you. He always lives within you when you put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I love how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in who? You, whom you have received from God. And you know, the word temple in the Old Testament uh, is often uh, referred to as the house of the Lord. Isn't that cool? That the temple is the place where God lives and dwells and resides and, and shows up in power. And, and what Paul is saying is like, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And, and the context of this verse is very interesting because First, first, Corinthians, is, first Corinthians is a letter written to a church that's really messed up. Like it's probably the most messed up church in the whole Bible. Uh, in fact, he's talking about a, a church that's, uh, that's living in sexual sin. They're doing some really weird stuff. Uh, they, they, they're, they're always fighting with one another. They don't, they don't show love for one another. They're jealous, they're greedy. And Paul, what does he say to them right in the middle of the letter? He says, hey, even in your sinfulness, the Holy Spirit lives in who? You, the Holy Spirit lives in, isn't that incredible? And, and God gives us his Holy Spirit, not when our house is cleaned up, uh, but when we trust, trust our lives to Jesus. It's incredible. I was, uh, I was thinking about this uh, earlier this week and I was reminded of my small group. We meet on Friday nights every other week and, uh, and we, uh, we've got some, some old friends and some new friends, but we meet every other week. And uh, the, the trick is I'm off on Friday. I'm home, I'm home alone with the kids and, uh, and I'm not a very tidy person. So they're like throwing books everywhere. I mean, they don't really throw the books, but there's books everywhere. There's toys everywhere. There's dishes in the sink. And I'm like, I'll take care of it later. Any procrastinators in the house? That's me, right? And so I get to five o'clock and I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> this house is very messy. This is not gonna be a very hospitable night with the small group, but I, I hustle and I clean up as much as I can. But inevitably, there's always a mess somewhere, right? There's books on the couch. There's dishes in the sink. You guys know what I'm talking about? It just, there's water spots on the mirror, toothpaste spots on the mirror, water spots on the, on the sink, right? I'm like, oh, I guess, guess they're gonna know we brush our teeth, right? At least we got that going for me. Uh, but you know, uh, uh, the small group comes. We always, man, we always have a great time seeking the Lord together, studying scripture, praying together. But I was, I was reminded of this, this moment uh, and there's, there's books everywhere. It's particularly, it's particularly messy. 
And uh, my friend Kara, she walks in and uh, she doesn't complain about the books. Uh, she doesn't start cleaning up the books or tidying it up. She's not offended by the books. In fact, she picks one of the books up and she starts reading it to my girls, my four-year-old twins. She's like reading a book after book after book after book. And, and she literally, she, she picked up my mess and she used my mess to love my kids. See that works? And this, this is what God does for us with the Holy Spirit. He, 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 he shows up in our life and, and he, he starts to, to pick up the messes and he starts to, to, to use, man, to use our anger to minister to our kids. He starts to use our failures to, uh, to, to point our, our wives and our husbands to Jesus. He starts uh, to use our sinfulness to, uh, to, to see the goodness that, that he has offered us in the person of Jesus and the love that he has for us. He, he begins to take our mess and redeem it if we'll let him. And, and, and this is what God has done for us in Jesus. It's, it's, it's incredible. I, I love how Paul says in, in the second letter of the, the Corinthian church, in fact, the Corinthian church is so bad, he writes two letters in the Bible. Some people think he wrote four letters that we lost two of them, but, but he's gotta keep writing letters to, to challenge them to seek the Lord. And he says this in, in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, it is God who, what? Enables. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Like, who, who makes us good enough? It's God. Uh, who, who makes us holy? It's God. Who changes the stuff that makes us feel like we're not good enough? It's God. He enables us to stand firm. He enables us to be different, he enables us to do what is right. But oftentimes we flip it upside down and we try and clean up the mess before God shows up and God's like, I'm already here, let me help. Let me help. And I would just say this, if, if the Holy Spirit, I wanna move through these next three points fairly quickly, but, but I would just say this, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, what does that mean? What does it, what does it mean to, to respond in faith to, the, to our sinful moments or our, our weak moments or our broken moments or our busy moments? What does it mean? It means that at any time, you can enjoy God's presence. The Bible says that in your presence is fullness of joy. It says that about, about his presence, that there's fullness of joy. Any, any time you can enjoy God's presence, he's with you. I, I like one, uh, one old uh, monk, he said, uh, praying without ceasing is like uh, always speaking as if you're in the presence of God. And, and, and this is what God wants for us. He wants us to enjoy his presence knowing that he's with us. Two, it means you can expect that God will answer your prayers you can expect that God will answer your prayers. And so often, because we don't feel good enough when we pray, we wonder if God is even listening. But the Bible tells us, no, in Christ, you are good enough to never be condemned. In Christ, you are good enough that the Holy Spirit lives within you. You can expect God to answer your prayers if you're willing to listen. Like sometimes, sometimes God will give you the answer that you don't wanna hear, but he will answer. You can expect God to answer your prayers. And third, I would say this, you can be led in the power of the Holy Spirit in any moment. Man, if you're at work, if you're at home, if you're in the car, uh, if you're at Starbucks, uh, if you're uh, um, picking up dog poop on the back, uh, in the backyard, like you can be led in the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that crazy? Like any, any moment, God is with you and he wants to lead you to have great attitudes, to be a servant, to live generously, to live boldly. And, uh, and the truth is it's way, more, uh, it's, uh, it's way more natural. It's way easier to enjoy walking with God when you know that you're good enough because of what Jesus has done for you at the cross. But 
Uh, there is often a disconnect, right, between what we know and what we feel. You guys, you guys this is like one of the, the biggest problems for Christians is uh, we see what's happening in our lives in the world and we're like, God, where are you? Or God, why am I still struggling? Or God, why am I not good enough? And that feeling can be overwhelming. So, so what do we do with the feeling of not good enough? Like, why don't I feel good enough? Like, that's something that you've, you've got to deal with. And I'd like to just say this to you, that I think that, uh, that one of the reasons that we struggle to feel good enough is uh, our perfectionism. That, that we see our problems and, and we, uh, uh, we can't shake them. We can't stop thinking about them. And, uh, and you know, perfectionism is dangerous because it's like, it's like trying to clean your windshield like while you're going 60 on the freeway. You guys know? Like you, you're, you're going slower because uh, you're not paying attention, right? But, but it's still pretty dangerous. Like you're focused on the wrong thing. And that's the problem. Perfectionism, it takes my eyes off of Christ and his church. Perfectionism, man, it'll take your eyes off of what Christ has already done for you in the person of Jesus. It, it'll take your eyes on, on the people that God has given to encourage you when you don't feel good enough. And it'll take your eyes off of the Holy Spirit and where he's asking you to go. Perfectionism, is, perfectionism, it always will take our eyes off of Jesus. And I, and I love how Hebrews 12 says it. You've probably heard this verse before, but I think it's an incredible verse. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, there's, there's believers that have gone before us who, who've uh, pointed, pointed, pointed people to Jesus, who've lived well before the Lord. And, and uh, man, we have this, this incredible cloud of witnesses to encourage us he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus. And I love this, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What does a pioneer do? A pioneer starts. What does the perfecter do? The perfecter finishes. Man, the whole process of the Christian life is meant to, to begin and end with looking at Jesus, looking to him for direction. But perfectionism has a way of magnifying the wrong things and taking our eyes off of Christ. You can only point a magnifying glass in one direction, can you not? And, and here's the thing, I wanna give you three, three ways that perfectionism does this specifically. And the first one is this, perfectionism magnifies my failures. Perfectionism magnifies my failures. And one of the problems with perfectionists is uh, as long as they're not, they don't feel good enough, that's all they can think about. Right? They're just they're thinking about, man, the thing that they said, the thing that they did, uh, the, the thing that they could have done better, and they get so focused on the flaw that they can't see the success. I, uh, I, was, um, I ran across this interesting example. It's called a survivorship bias, and this is a, a, a term that was coined during World War II, and uh, they, they just, the Air Force decided they wanted to figure out uh, where, where they needed to reinforce armor on their planes. And so uh, they, they, uh, they found all of the planes that, that flew back from a battle and they, they started to count and mark the bullet holes. And what they found is uh, all the bullet holes were in the wings in the center of the plane or on the tail, the tail section of the plane. Those are all, all those red dots are bullet holes. And so, man, this team of engineers that begin to think, well, maybe we need to reinforce the wings, right? That's where all the bullets are getting shot, right? So let's reinforce the wings. And this guy here on, on the screen, Abraham Wald, he said, wait a minute, maybe we should do the opposite. And, and he noticed something, uh, he noticed something by taking his eyes off the flaws and looking at the spots where there were no, where there were no bullets. And he said, uh, you know, I think the reason that, that all of the bullet holes are in the wings is because any plane that got hit in the engine, the propeller, crashed. 
Any, any, any plane that got shot in the cockpit crashed because if you don't have an engine, you don't have a pilot, can't fly a plane. You guys with me? And this is oftentimes what happens with perfectionism. It causes us to shift our focus off the engine. It takes, it takes our eyes off of the pilot. It, it takes uh, our, our focus off the thing that really matters. And, and that's Jesus and what he's asking us to do and what he's leading us to do and what he's empowering us to do. And, and, and so, so, man, perfection, but it has a way of, of taking our attention onto the wrong things, uh, the, the, the way we sinned against the Lord, uh, uh, the, the way that we, we misspoke, uh, the scripture that we don't know, uh, the prayer that we didn't pray. And it's like, well, what, are those, what do those things matter if I'm, if I'm good enough in the person of Jesus? Man, how much more should I lean into the Holy Spirit and his power and his direction and his leading? How much more should I enjoy his presence? Because he's perfect even when I am not. The second, the second way perfectionism uh, takes our focus off of the right thing is uh, perfectionism puts the focus on my problems. It puts the focus on my problems. And when you are a perfectionist, having a problem is a real problem, <laughs> is it not? Like you, 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 uh, you have this, this uh, tendency to, to obsess over fixing the problem because having problems is unacceptable. And you are capable of solving them if only you work harder and put more energy and time into the problem. I, uh, I think about um, uh, the moments where uh, you get in an argument going to church, right? And, and you're sitting in service and you're thinking about the thing that you should have said to your wife. You're thinking about the, the way you should have responded to your kid. Uh, that you're thinking about I mean, how you're gonna do it better next time. And, and the whole while you're, you're not hearing the words that are being sung over you by God's church words of encouragement, words of the gospel, and you're like, you're missing the engine. You're missing the point. And, and let me ask you a question. Like, what if the thing that God wants to speak into your life is not the problem that you're most concerned about? Like, what if the thing that you really need is, is, is not to, to fix the problem at work? Like, what if the thing that you really need is uh, not to have the relationship be perfect? What if the thing you really need is, is not any of those things and God has something else for you? Can you hear it or are you too focused on that problem? You know, a perfectionism, it really does have a way of taking our eyes off of what God wants to say to us and do in our lives. Uh, and one of the reasons is, is because perfectionism puts us in an earning mentality. Perfectionism puts us in an earning mentality. And uh, it's uh, hard to fault anyone for this because, you know, we, we believe this lie. If you don't have enough, it's because you aren't good enough. And, and, and we believe this lie that, that if, if you wanna, uh, if you wanna experience a better life and you just have to work harder. And, uh, and a lot of people live under that boot, you know, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps boot. Uh, you know, and, and in, in the Christian life, oftentimes it sounds like this. I, I, I mean, I'd be closer to God if I just prayed more, right? Or I'd be closer to God if I, if I read my Bible every day. It's been a couple of weeks since I've read the Bible. Like if I just read my Bible more, then I'd be good. Uh, I'd be closer to God if I got more involved in church and served more. And yet so, so often there's people who are, who are serving five days a week at church, but they feel empty. They feel broken. There's people who are reading the Bible and, and, and I ask them, hey, what are you getting from your time in God's word? And they're like, nothing. I'm like, how? How is that possible? It's God's word to us. He's spoken to us. Like, you're like, hey, well, how's your prayer life? God's not saying anything. What? Are you serious? And, and here's, here's the problem, is that so often we, we treat our Christian life like a performance, 
Like something, like, like we're trying to earn God's approval. But as long as you're trying to earn God's approval, you miss what he's already done for you in the person of Jesus. You miss what he wants to say to you in the moment that you're in right now. But sometimes we misdiagnose the problem and, and we can't hear the solution that God has for us. And I would just say to you, uh, perfectionism puts you in an earning mentality that will, will hang you up every time, every time. So uh, when you feel imperfect, when you're caught in that per- perfectionism that, that causes you to believe something that's not true, that causes you to forget what God has done for you in the person of Jesus, what do you do? Like, what do you do with that feeling? And I wanna give you three things that you can do with that feeling. But I was... Uh, reading about the old preacher D.L. Moody, he's a powerful evangelist, evangelist, somebody who walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, Moody once uh, hold up, he held up an in- empty glass and he asked the crowd, how do you remove the air from the glass? And uh, only one man had the courage to, uh, to solve that problem, uh, put on the spot. He said, well, attach a vacuum to it. <laughs> Dyson vacuum, I don't know. Uh, and Moody said, you could do that, but it might break the glass. Uh, there's a simpler solution. In fact, it's, uh, uh, the solution is uh, what the glass was designed to do. And he, he took a pitcher of water and he just began to pour water in the glass all the way to the top. And, uh, and the point he was making is, is that this is the solution that God gives to us in the person of Jesus. He says, hey, where, where your life is empty, where, where your glass is just filled up with, with things that don't satisfy, that aren't life-giving, when your life is characterized by the, the, the emptiness of sin, uh, God says to us, man, receive Jesus. Man, allow Jesus to be prominent in your house. Like, allow him uh, to fill you up. And, and the cool thing too, right, is, is you are good enough in Christ to be a home for the Holy Spirit, right? Like, that God has already given you himself. Like, and, and if we would just allow him into the, to the whole of our house, if we, would, if we would stop leaving him in the guest room, right, and we would let him out into the kitchen, he'd start doing the dishes for us. He, he, he'd start rearranging the things that need to get rearranged so that we could live well. I mean, this is a picture of the gospel. This is what God does for us in the person of Jesus. And how do you do that? How do you let God into the whole house? And, uh, and I would say this, uh, th- there was only one thing that ever uh, amazed Jesus or surprised Jesus, and it was faith. Uh, he, was, he was amazed by the faith of the centurion, but he was also uh, incredulous. He rebuked the disciples because they didn't have enough faith. Hebrews says, it's, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And, and so these, these three things that I'm gonna tell you are things that, that I wanna encourage you to do in faith, to, to trust God in. And the first one is this, confess your sin in view of the cross. Confess your sin in view of the cross. Now, what this does not mean is this. A lot of times we confess our sin because uh, we feel like if we don't confess our sin, then God will be far away. Uh, we, 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 we confess our sin to, to try and fix the relationship, right? And, and that's not what confession is in, in the church. Confession is not you trying to fix the relationship. It, it's, it's you acknowledging that God has forgiven you in the person of Jesus, that God has already dealt with it, that, that God is not far off, but sin has caused you to turn your back on him. Confession is reorienting your life towards the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in your life. It's, it's this moment where you say, God, my way is not working. I wanna hear from you. 
That's what confession does. And that's why James says confession is healing. He says in, in James 5, verse 16, he says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Do you know that living with guilt and shame is not healthy? Not healthy. And, and he says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, uh, con- confession is, is the, uh, the, the engine that, that puts us in, uh, in front of Jesus. It helps us focus on what he's done and what he's trying to do in our life. When, uh, when I was a young man or a younger man, uh, depending on, it's all relative, I know. Uh, but uh, when I was a young man, I, uh, uh, I was really afraid of judgment, uh, but I was also being ruined by my sin. Anybody been there, right? Sin is a way of just messing things up, messing up relationships, uh, ruining our attitude. And so I was afraid of judgment, but I was also being ruined by sin. So, so I was sort of trapped, I was stuck. And uh, I tried confessing parts of my problem. You know, I'd share the things that I was comfortable sharing. Uh, but I wouldn't share it all. And so uh, I ran into this problem, right, where like, if they really knew, would they still love me, right? If they really knew, would they still forgive me? Uh, But there was this moment when I surrendered to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had been pressing on me to tell the whole truth, tell the whole truth, tell the whole truth. And there was this moment where I surrendered and I, I told my pastor, I told a mentor, I told my dad, I told him everything. And here's the funny thing, right? God already knows, he knows. He searches our hearts. He knows our hearts. He knows everything. Uh, the Bible says even, even the darkness is as, as light to God. In other words, the things that we hide, he can still see. And, and he knew. But, but I remember circling up with a few of those men in my pastor's office and, and them knowing all the things that I was ashamed of, all the things that made me feel like I wasn't, that, that made me feel like I wasn't good enough. And I remember circling up with, with, with them and they said, among other things, but I remember this moment, they said, we forgive you and we'll help you. And then they put their hands on my shoulder and they began to pray for me. And uh, as soon as they started praying, I started weeping. Just started weeping, but, but it was different because it, I, wasn't, I wasn't weeping because I felt guilty or ashamed. It was because uh, I was experiencing the love of Christ through these men. And, uh, and the truth is that, uh, that when we confess halfway, uh, we, we wonder uh, if they knew the whole, the whole truth, would they still love me? But hearing from those men of God who, who were forgiving me in Christ say, we forgive you and we'll help you, it, it made God's love tangible in a way that I needed. I couldn't believe it before that. I couldn't believe that God would love a person like me. And I, I think that some of you probably are there with me and uh, that you, you, you maybe are in that moment of half, half confession, sharing half the truth. And I would say uh, it, it's important that you not just confess your sins to God, but you confess it to a believer who, who understands the gospel, who can pray for you and encourage you and speak those words of forgiveness over you. And, and here's the cool thing that happens in confession. I love this verse. In, in Luke 7, 47, there's this, this sinful woman and these, these religious people, and Jesus confronts the judgment of the religious people, and he says to them this, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus' point is this, is the more that you experience the forgiveness of God, tangibly, practically, hands praying uh, on your shoulder type of forgiveness, uh, the more you experience God's love and the more it becomes real to you and the more it changes you and the more you love God deeply. And uh, you know, there's, there's some people here uh, t- today, I would guess, uh, because I hear it from people all the time, 
Uh, they say, I'm just not getting anything out of the Bible. Or, man, I just am not motivated to read the Bible. Or, I know I need to pray more, but I don't pray very much. And, uh, and I, I would say the solution maybe isn't to have a, a more disciplined uh, prayer plan. Uh, maybe the solution for you is confession. Because, because if, if you encounter the love of God in a tangible way, it leads you to want to spend more time with him. And if you get rid of the guilt and the shame that causes you to fear coming before the Lord and his throne of grace, then guess what happens? Prayer becomes way simpler and way easier. You just start talking to him all the time. You, you begin to live a life praying without ceasing. And, and the truth is that sometimes we uh, in our flesh make, make solutions that God didn't give us. Maybe, maybe the solution is this. Confess your sins in view of the cross. Here's the second thing you can do. I would say this, allow the Holy Spirit to set the pace. Allow the Holy Spirit to set the pace. Sometimes we're, we're led by our personality more than the person of Jesus. We're, we're, li- we're led by our tendencies and our feelings more than by God's word. And, uh, and if you're a type A perfectionist, uh, you, you know this. Like you're, you're motivated by doing a good job. You wanna be the best that you can be. And, and if you're a type A perfectionist, you, you never take a break, you do all of the things, uh, you sign up for the ministries, you sign up for all the hobbies, you go to all the sporting events, uh, you take on all of the work opportunities, uh, you never miss a quiet time, but regularly you find yourself weary, worn out, or burned out. And that's what type A perfectionist, perfectionism, it always leads to that, it always leads to burnout. Now, uh, I'm not a type A perfectionist, but uh, there is a type B perfectionism, uh, and, uh, and the type B perfectionist is a little bit more laid back, but still, uh, still maybe uh, a little too focused on being perfect, and, uh, and the, the, this is how we do it. Uh, we, uh, we only take on challenges that we know we can be successful in, and then we push the ones that are hard off, off to the, 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 the back burner. We put it on the back burner. We, we wait on it, right? Or um, you only do the things you can't accomplish or you procrastinate to do the thing that's important so that you have plenty of time to learn all the things that, that will make you successful at it. But, but here's where that always leads. Five years later, you wish you had done more. Maybe you wish you had taken more risks. You wish you had pushed harder. But listen to what God says in Galatians 5.16. He says, this is Paul speaking to a church. He says, I say then, walk by the who by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. He's talking about uh, our sinful passions, like the things that that are natural to us, instinctual to us, and and oftentimes our sinful passions lead us to to sinful behaviors, but sometimes it just leads us to do things outside of the power of God, where we're just just doing things because they they sound right to us. They sound good to us. He says, walk by the spirit. I uh, I wonder what would happen if we did this all the time, because we do it some of the time, uh, I, I know it's, it's so hard to, to keep our focus and our attention on God because we, we, we have this way of fixating on problems and fixating on flaws and, and uh, operating in the earning mentality. But, but what would it look like? And, uh, and I have a suggestion to you. Uh, I started a couple years ago praying through my calendar. It's something that's been very fruitful for me. Just asking God, hey God, what do I need to do with this appointment? God, is there anything that I need to cancel? Is there anything that I need to add? And allowing God to speak into, into my calendar. And uh, you're like, well, how do I do that? Well, start by looking at your calendar on Monday, praying through your calendar once a week. Just letting God speak into that. And then the next week, doing it twice. And the week after that, doing it three times. And then all of a sudden, in seven weeks, you're praying every day. Isn't that incredible? And, and here's the deal. Uh, one of the things I was, I've been noticing in the past year, the past year we've, uh, we've had uh, fewer people sign up for small groups, for serving events, 
um, for different ministries. There's just, uh, there's just fewer people signing up. And that's understandable. I mean, COVID uh, has made things uh, pretty complicated, knowing what you should be at, what's safe to be at, um, man, uh, how it's going to affect your family. Our schedules are different. You guys, you guys with me? It's, it's just made things challenging. Uh, but one of the things that, that's been interesting, I've been asking this question because I'm curious to know, man, why are, why are people less engaged at church? And I asked this question, hey, why'd you, when people show up, hey, what made you sign up for this? And, uh, you know, people say things like, oh, it, was, it sounded interesting to me, or, you know, I knew I, knew I needed to get more involved, you know, needed. Uh, it sounds a lot like performing. But you know, one of the things I rarely hear, and I, I hear it sometimes, but I rarely hear people say, well, God put it on my heart to be there. And I was praying, and, and it, seemed like, it seemed like this is something that would be good for me. Or, uh, or people saying, well, you know, I know God really cares about widows and orphans. So this was an opportunity for me to have God's heart. You see that, see how that works? Allowing God's word to, 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 to set our agenda. That's what allowing the Holy Spirit to set the pace looks like, is, is, is saying, God, uh, what would you have me do? Like, what would it look like if, if once a month, every North Pointer got onto to northpoint.org, checked out North Point Now, North Point uh, events, and just scrolled through the page, saw what was happening, and just prayed through it. God, is there anything in this, in this webpage that you would have me do. And I'll tell you what would happen. First, the type A perfectionist, you would do less. You would do less. You wouldn't be here five nights a week. You would say, God's put it on my heart to, to, to do Green Zone. Or God's put it on my heart to be involved in CR. Or God's put it on my heart uh, to join a small group. Uh, but but he, he hasn't put it on my heart to do this and this and this. In fact, he's telling me it's, it's burning you out. I have somebody else for that. And if you type B perfectionist, what would happen is this. Uh, God, God's gonna be like, hey, I need you to do that. And you're like, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. And God will say, uh, where you're weak, I am strong. See how that works? Uh, ladies, there's an incredible event coming up called Christmas Joy. And uh, it's, uh, it's an incredible event, particularly because uh, there's not a big agenda, right? It's just uh, enjoying God's presence, being together in fellowship with believers, being encouraged. And I just wanna let you know it's coming up and there's a few spots left and don't wait to sign up. In fact, out on the patio, there's some folks that could tell you more about it. But man, this is a great opportunity just to, to learn to enjoy God's presence with, with some women in our church. Uh, isn't that cool? So I wanna encourage you to do that. And, and if you're like, I don't know if I wanna do that, uh, what do you do? Allow the Holy Spirit to set the pace and say, God, should I do that? Yeah, D- don't do it because I told you to do it. Do it because the Holy Spirit is leading you to do it. And here's what happens. Where, where you're moving towards burnout, the Holy Spirit will rein you in. And, and where you've become passive, the Holy Spirit will push you forward into things that are ultimately very good for you. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 5, he continues in his letter, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And what does that mean? The law is a, this, a list of things that, that I feel like I have to do to be good enough. But, but God, he leads us not by a list of rules or a list of to-dos, but, but he leads us by spirit, one step at a time. That's the way you were meant to live as a Christian, one step at a time. Now, uh, let me close by saying this. Some of, you, uh, some of you are here and you're like, I can't take a step. I'm too worn out. My kids are just uh, wearing me out. My sin has just ruined me. Uh, I, I don't know the way, the way forward. And... Uh, and the truth is, is if you've entrusted your life to Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit already lives in you, right? And God is working in you in ways that you do not see. And, uh, and, and all you need to do if you can't take a step is this, it's the third thing. Trust that God will finish what he started and believe that God will finish what he started in your life. 
the, the, the truth is, is that we give up on God far more than he gives up on us. Jesus, he said uh, that, that God never leaves us nor forsakes us, right? Paul says, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Do you believe that? Because if you do, you'll trust that God will do what you cannot through his Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. Hey, I wanna, I wanna pray uh, for you uh, and encourage you just by seeking the Lord together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these people. Lord, I pray for those who are weary, uh, those who are burdened, those who feel like they cannot take a step. I thank you that you're at work in their life. I pray that you would encourage them today, that you would remind them of the truth of the gospel, that there is no condemnation for them, that your Holy Spirit lives in them. And uh, for those of us who, who know that we've been passive in our walks with you, I pray that, that you would give us uh, attention to your Holy Spirit, that you would free us from perfectionism, that we might uh, uh, progress in following you. God, uh, help us, God, help us walk faithfully before you. Help us walk in the grace of the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name, amen.